So you want to know the ins and outs of managing your money. Well, lucky for you, you're just in time for another episode of Master Your Finances with certified financial planner professional, Kurt Baker. Kurt and his panel of experts are here for you and will cover topics from a legal and personal standpoint. They'll discuss tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money, and more. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Ryder University. Now, let's learn how we can better change our habits with Kurt Baker. Hi, welcome back. You're listening to uh, Master Your Finances. I am Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional here with Richard Aikens, a uh, loan office with uh, First Constitution Bank. And we're talking about reverse mortgages um, and uh, Richard had a long career in many areas, including psychology and engineering, and he got himself into the reverse mortgage market through a friend, which is great. And so now we're, he mentioned briefly that there's a couple of different types or variations of reverse mortgages. And we want to talk just a little bit about the basics, uh, um, about what the types are, and then we'll go into some of the uses and why somebody might want a mortgage, uh, a reverse mortgage. So you want to okay. tell us a little bit about that? Okay. So, so fundamentally, people are getting reverse mortgages to, quote, age in place. Um, and as we talked about a little bit before, that it's cash, but they're using it for medical payments and things like that. And so there are, there are three types of uh, payouts that correspond with the three types of reverse mortgages. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the three types of reverse mortgages are a fixed rate reverse mortgage, an annually adjusting adjustable rate reverse mortgage, and a monthly adjusting adjustable rate reverse mortgage. Um, with the fixed rate reverse mortgage, there is only a lump sum payout. Uh, think, for, for example, if the prevailing rate today is 4% and somebody gets a fixed rate reverse mortgage but only takes half of the funds, and then a year from now when the prevailing rate is 7%, they want the other half, that's a failing business model. doesn't work. So if somebody wants the fixed rate, um, it's a lump sum payout. The annual adjusting and monthly adjusting products uh, function almost identically, except that they, they uh, change interest rates on a different cycle. They both have uh, three payout options. One would be a lump sum, which is, by the way, a, a very rarely taken option. Um, the second is a monthly distribution, almost like um, an annuity. Right. Um, and the third is a line of credit. So... Uh, the line of credit turns out to be the most popular option for taking money, and <clears throat> the homeowners then can use draw what they need whenever they need it for whatever purpose. So they have an uneven distribution of, of, of funds, but it suits their needs best. Okay, so there's a lot of flexibility. So if you have an immediate need for something, you don't want to you just want to fix it and be done with it. You take a lump sum, and that's kind of the end of the transaction, so to speak. Um, and then you've got the two variations of the adjustable. Um, so that's great. So which one, which of these three variations do you most often see that people typically take? The, um, the annually adjusting product is the most popular. Um, I think that people have a, a tendency to not want to have to uh, obsess or, or follow or track the uh, changing interest rate, not that it makes much difference in the end uh, because they generally f- track together going up and down. But they don't want to see this every month. <laughs> so, so it's more of a stress reliever. Just say, okay, I know my rate is for the year. That's the end of it. And they are reverse think, mortgages, so they're not, so. they're not theoretically making a payment every month. They don't have to make the payment, but they may want to pay it down. If it's a line of credit, they still have that option to pay it down, right? So if you put a, a reverse mortgage that's literally a line of credit, they borrow. In theory, they could pay it back. In, they could borrow again, right? And then it's all based on these rates, correct? In, in fact, uh, that is a strategy that we oftentimes recommend, particularly for somebody who's younger, who may still be working, if they get a reverse mortgage, we um, would encourage them to make payments. And because payments are not required, um, they can make uh, two payments a year or 12 or whatever they feel um, you know, they can handle. Uh, but it does have a tendency to uh, drive down the balance that they owe and increase the line of credit correspondingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me mention something about the the line of credit, and this is a great feature of reverse mortgages that most people don't know, and it's a, a little challenging sometimes to understand. The line of credit will grow 
at exactly the same rate as the accruing interest. So let's say the interest rate today is 4%, and that's approximately where it is. Um, that plus the mandatory mortgage insurance premium, it's an FHA product, most come with a mandatory mortgage insurance. <clears throat> let's say it's a grand total of five and a quarter percent today. Well, the line of credit is growing at that same rate. So $100,000 in the line of credit at the end of the year now is 105 or something. You do the math, but it's, it's more than 100000 mm -hmm. And it gives the homeowner the ability to draw more uh, on the equity in their property. Presumably the uh, reason for this is because, A, seniors need more money as time goes on, and, B, properties appreciate. Um, it is a nice feature. If people don't draw the money, uh, that line of credit can grow considerably. So that's really independent of, of house appreciation. It's more about interest rate charge, correct? Is that my understanding as far as the the, it is, the the increase in the rate is based on the rate that's on the mortgage itself? That's correct. has nothing to do with reappraising the house. has nothing with the – you don't have to go out correct. and say, I have to repay my house every year. Did it go up 3%? Did it go up 5%? It's what is the rate being charged, whether it was the monthly or the annual. At the end of the – you know whatever that is, that's how much your line is growing, correct? Right. That's correct. Okay. So, there, well, there's no free lunch, so to speak. So somehow – they're the, the 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 actuaries are in here, right? Somewhere. So how are they compensating for that in their head, back of their heads? I know there's insurance on it, right? They're they're doing like tape. A little bit. It's like an annuity, right? Because they're figuring out how long do they think you're going to live, how long do they think the house is going to be around. So there's there's some math involved in here, some way to figure out. Well, how much can I borrow, right? Well, so what kind of math might be involved behind this? Well, life expectancy is definitely a key mm -hmm. component, um, and these the uh, average age for a reverse mortgage, by the way, is about seventy two. And the average duration of a reverse mortgage is about seven years, just, just by the way. Um, I, repeat your question, would you, so I know. Oh, well, I was just talking about the actual side of it because, uh, well, you know, if I have a house that's worth $100,000, we'll, we'll keep our right. math simple today, right? So, so am I going to get 100000 Am I going to get 10000 I mean, what, what kind of expectations so, I have? I mean, because you have, you have how old am I? Right. Yeah, how much is my house worth? Obviously, rates might be part of this. So somebody is in the back office here figuring out, well, what, what can FHA really do here as far as giving me a mortgage? What, what kind of expectations might I have? Um, although it obviously has to be underwritten and there's, you know, things okay. change all the time. But just kind of a rough idea of like how all this works. Yeah. What, what should uh, I really expect? So let me, let me focus it a little bit more on how, how much does the borrower get and, and then how does the bank make their money basically. <laughs> Um, the amount the homeowner gets, the borrower gets, is based on three components. Age, age of the youngest borrower, um, the property value, and the current expected interest rate. And that's a technical term. It's based on the 10-year um, swap or something like that uh, uh, with the uh, lender's margin. So it's an expected rate. It's not the current rate. So you can't go, just go look up the current rate and say, okay, well, that's my, that's my calculation. It's actually projecting out, right? They're kind of what their expectation is. Right. And right. That's where your actuaries are getting involved here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I believe that they think that that's a more stable a more stable way to look at rates, looking at a 10-year swap. Well, if they're looking at 10 so, years and they expect it to be around seven, they're, they're, I guess in their minds, they're looking beyond the expectation of, the, of what their, at least their system's telling us, how what the likelihood is this to be in place. Right, right, right. right. So, um, but, the, but as of today, the um, two most important components of that are age and property value. So the, the minimum age for a reverse mortgage is 62, uh, although a spouse or a co-borrower could be younger, but at least one person has to be 62. And then, of course, there's no maximum. But uh, starting at age 62, they're eligible for approximately 53% of the value of the property today. Um, so, you know, a $100,000 house, somebody 62 is getting a little over 50000 and so on. Mm -hmm. um, the, the bank, as I mentioned earlier, is charging an interest rate, which is accruing rather than being charged so the homeowner isn't making a payment on that interest each month. It's accruing. Uh, and so at some time in the future, uh, if the homeowner has borrowed $100,000, the accruing interest on the $100,000 is, is, you know, whatever it is, it builds up. Maybe it's on. Given a number of years, it may be 125 or 150 thousand, whatever, and and that's what's due uh, when the homeowner no longer lives in the in that residence. Right. So if if um, this is this is a concern I've heard in the past is like let's say my house is worth 100 thousand in a, in a snapshot in time, 
and I've had this thing for a few years, and all of a sudden my line has grown to 105. Is the bank going to call me up and say, you need to mail back some money because we don't think your house is worth enough? I don't have any, you don't have any equity in your house, so you've got to pay this thing off. No, no, no. They, uh, they, they don't do that. In fact, they like, like seeing that line of credit go up because it means more stability and longevity for the, for the homeowner who wants to age in place. Right. So the, so the owner doesn't have to be concerned about the valuation. It's more about how it's put in place initially, understanding the terms, because whatever your house, whether it goes up or down in value later on, they're not going to make a call back to you saying, hey, the, the equity has changed, so we're going to modify the mortgage later. Correct. Once, once it's set, it's done as far as you're concerned. Once it's set, it's right? done. By the way, once it's set, the amount of money that you are um, entitled to get, uh, except for the line, of, uh, except for the growth in the line of credit, is what it is. Um, so, um, you know, if you're eligible for a hundred thousand and your house suddenly doubles in value, you're still eligible for a hundred thousand. <laughs> so. Okay. All right. So that's good. So you mentioned another thing, which uh, is you have the minimum age of sixty-two, um, and it gets interesting though when you have a younger. Like so some days, you'll have. I've, I've seen people marry, you know, the, the age difference is my 10 or 15 years in some cases. So let's say I'm, I just turned 62 um, and I remarried and my new wife is 52, as an example. What happens to this actuarial thing? How does that affect me? Because we're married, right? She has a right to the house just like I do. Um, so what kind of effect might that have on some of these terms if, we're, if I marry a younger spouse, so to speak? Um, well, in, in fact, like I said before, the amount of money that that's el- they're eligible to receive is based on the age of the younger borrower because that younger borrower is likely to live in the house considerably longer than the older one uh, if there's a considerable difference in age. So um, I don't have the I haven't memorized the percentages, but uh, somebody. Well, I wouldn't expect you to, but some, but it does re- it'll it'll affect the value, right? Yeah, so, so a little bit. So let's say it's uh, it goes down from fifty three percent to forty two percent or something like that. Uh, and they, they have actually created tables where a spouse is as young as 18. Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> I want to I meet that couple. 62 and 18. That, that's, that's quite a spread. Well, okay. I'm not sure what they talk about, but all right. That's fine, I guess. But um, Okay, so, so the age does matter, and the age of the spouse matters. So even if you're eligible, uh, that could come into the calculation. The property value initially comes into the calculation, um, as, as well as this other piece, which is, uh, really just about the projected interest rates that are going to be out there, and that's how FHA kind of tries to keep up with uh, keeping all this in balance. I know years ago FHA was uh, – the program has kind of had you know start fits and starts, so to speak, because the, the math wasn't really working out and people weren't – so I think they finally got this thing down to where um, it actually looks like it works long term because um, sometimes they were lending out too much money and there was you know issues with the program from that respect. But a lot of that's been worked out, right? So this newer version um, has helped out a lot. So when we come back here in a few minutes, we'll talk a little bit more about you know why you might want to take out a ver- reverse mortgage and use some of these many variations that are available to us. This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Master Your Finances presented by Certified Wealth Management and Investment. I'm Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional hosting your show today and my office is located in Princeton, New Jersey. I assist clients all over the country and can be reached through our website, which is www.cwmi.us. Or you can call me directly at 609-716-4700. And last time we had on uh, Chris Arun Kumar, a CPA, a CFE at Breakpoint Assurance Company. We talked about fraud protection, a lot of tips about that. So if you haven't missed that edition or any of our editions of Master Your Finances, you can go to www.masteryourfinances.us and listen to that podcast there. Um, and this week we are very pleased to have with us Richard Eakins, a uh, loan officer at First Constitution Bank, uh, headquartered in Cranberry, New Jersey, serving the 19 bank locations in surrounding areas, mostly in Mercer, Monmouth, Middlesex, and Somerset counties here in New Jersey. Uh, Richard helped seniors secure and extended the, extend the longevity of their uh, retirement assets in order to address their needs, such as affording 
in-home care, paying off a mortgage, choosing which retirement assets are sold and when, or just securing a retirement that is comfortable and carefree. A reverse mortgage is a versatile financial tool used to support these retirement strategies and provide the independence uh, seniors want. Uh, Rich is an expert in the field and works with a variety of professionals supporting seniors' needs, including attorneys, CPAs, and financial planners. And I'll raise my hand there. Uh, Richard has uh, authored several uh, newspaper and magazine articles. He's been interviewed on the radio, as he is now, and he's served an expert witness for attorney in legal uh, dispute over a reverse mortgage. He's spent five years in it as a research psychologist, 24 years in product marketing and management for high-tech firms, and now 14 years as a loan officer. And he has a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's degree in industrial engineering, which is quite a wide bandwidth, everywhere <laughs> from psychology to finances. Um, so you've you kind of gone the gamut, which I guess everything comes down to really finances, right? It's stress. So I, I guess he's a stress expert is what I'm going to call him. Um, but right now we're going to talk a little bit about reverse mortgages. So with that very diverse background, what led you down the path that brought you to the reverse mortgage world where you are today? How did you get here? Well, I believe that uh, career change is, is something that uh, is uh, common among people of our generation. And so I made a few career changes. Um, started out uh, working as a psychologist for contractors in the Washington, D.C. area, mostly military contract work. Um, and then found that I needed to go back to graduate school and ended up in engineering rather than psychology. So um, ended up working for high-tech firms for a number of years. And uh, when the high-tech uh, business fizzled. Let me guess, rather than 99, 2000? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I started looking for something else to do, and somebody said that uh, psychology might be a good uh, fit for uh, dealing with elderly or seniors, and um, uh, it, psychology may or may not help, but patience is probably the number one virtue for a reverse mortgage loan officer. Right. So, so you, so you decided. So you were you worked for a high tech firm, and then you work. Then you went, thought about psychology, and how did you jump right to? Re Most people don't know what a reverse mortgage is. So, how did you even learn about these, or how did you become exposed to them initially? What was your first uh, exposure to this uh, product that's out there, but which very few people have an education about? Well, I, I think like many people, it was a friend of a friend who said, "Come to you know, come come to work for me," um, and and that's what I did. So. Okay, so you had somebody that was familiar with it. You knew him. They explained to you what a reverse mortgage was. You thought might be a good way to help out seniors, uh, which is generally when people uh, start thinking about their, their, their retirement planning and possibly uh, in doing a reverse mortgage because you have to be a certain age in order to do one. It's my understanding. You do. Um, so, all right, so that's great. So you started off in that. And can, so now that we've talked about how you got there, what is it for our audience? What is a reverse mortgage as opposed to what we'd call a regular mortgage or a forward mortgage, if forward you Forward mortgage <laughs> for those of us in the mortgage business. <laughs> right. um, uh, basically, a reverse mortgage is, in many ways, like any other mortgage, um, except it's a means of getting a portion of the equity out of the house for seniors. And there are no requirements for monthly payments, although they can make payments if they like. Uh, and as I said, it provides a portion of the equity, and the proceeds are not taxable. That's an important point. Uh, especially in terms of the financial planning aspect. And um, when we're talking about reverse mortgages, most of the time we're talking about the FHA, Federal Housing Administration, a product called a home equity conversion mortgage, which sometimes is referred to as a HECM. Um, doesn't always sound pleasing to the ear when you say that. Um, and um, uh, this product is uh, created by FHA, so they set the rules for underwriting and how much people get and what ages uh, qualify and so forth. Um, large uh, lenders uh, then uh, provide that product to the marketplace and, and brokers and lenders provide it to the marketplace. Um, the product provides for three distribution methods of the, of the funds, uh, lump sum, line of credit, or a monthly amount. And we can talk about that in more detail a little bit later. Um, I do want to point out, though, that there are certain myths about reverse mortgages that we deal with frequently, and one is that the bank owns the home. Nothing can be further from the truth. Like I said before, it's a mortgage in many respects, just like any other mortgage. Um, so the homeowners are still responsible for property taxes and homeowners insurance and upkeep of the property and, and so forth. Um, uh, a second myth that we like to try and dispel 
is that it's a resource of last resort. Um, uh, we never marketed it as such, and recently academic research has shown that, that's, that it's better not to think of it as a resource of last resort. Uh, most importantly, I'd like to say though, that a reverse mortgage is a, a financial planning tool that provides options to seniors that uh, are, is intended to give them greater flexibility and to extend the longevity of all of the assets that the seniors may have. So it sounds like it's, for, it's another tool, basically. So people have to look at it as one more tool. Um, oftentimes, I guess, uh, the equity in the house, people build it up. They kind of ignore it, so to speak, uh, for the most part, unless the kids go into college, every once in a while, they'll tap into it. But uh-huh. when they get older, the, the concern becomes, how am I going to pay this back? Because as you retire, typically income drops a little bit when you retire. And this is one of those ways to access the equity without necessarily having to make the mortgage payment itself. Right. That, that, so in that respect, um, it's, it's a mortgage kind of minus the mortgage portion of the payment. But as you pointed out, uh, many people don't realize that you still have to pay your taxes. You still have to pay your insurance and things like that. It's not like a f- completely a free ride on your house. However, the mortgage can go away or you can pay off a small mortgage in some cases, right? If, there, if there's an existing mortgage, right. yes. Um, it's actually part of the requirement that any existing liens would have to be paid off. Um, FHA wants their uh, reverse mortgage to be in first position. Um, so uh, an existing mortgage or home equity line of credit or even a tax lien or something like that um, would need to, to be extinguished, usually through the proceeds of the reverse mortgage, but not necessarily. Right. And you point out something very interesting because I've seen this happen with, in, in, on occasion where somebody has a house worth a, a considerable amount of money. Uh, maybe no mortgage on it whatsoever, and they're struggling. They're having trouble paying the taxes, especially in a place like the Northeast where taxes could be very high, and they don't necessarily want to move out of this particular house for, for, for whatever reason it is And because um, people don't like to move. When you move and you're older, that a lot of people yeah. don't like that. Yeah. Um, but they can access it for things like paying the taxes or helping them with the taxes or subsidizing some of these extra expenses so they don't necessarily have to move immediately. Maybe they can move five or ten years down the road. Right. Um, and that's how I've seen it used in some cases where they've got in a little bit of trouble. And they don't realize they have all this equity. You should be paying these people off. You can. You have the ability. Yeah. Even though you don't have the money in the bank, you have the money in other places. Yeah. In fact, uh, if you think about it, uh, our expenses in the state of New Jersey where we have four property tax payments per year aren't, aren't equal month to month. So uh, frequently I find seniors asking about the reverse mortgage. They say, I've got enough money to make it from the 1st to the 31st. Until I hit the, that fourth month, um, third month rather, four times a year, and, uh, and there's, there's a spike in their expenses and they can't handle that. So it is a tool uh, sometimes used to pay off, pay uh, quarterly taxes. Right, so that blends it out a little bit, kind of helps them out. with It, the, it does. And there are lots, I mean, fundamentally a, a reverse mortgage is providing cash. So any way that you think you might need to use cash to buy gas or groceries or uh, whatever, it's, it's there for that purpose. The most common uh, uses of a reverse mortgage are, um, I believe, they're medical and paying off existing uh, liens, such as a mortgage or home equity line of credit. Uh, but we see people um, use the reverse mortgage for all, all sorts of things. Um, and I'll get into a little more detail about the, using it for financial planning purposes as well. Right. So, so the typically, it sounds like these are um, expenses that may come up f- relatively suddenly, like maybe there's an illness or something and some large medical expenses are coming about and they're paying those off. Is that what you're talking about or to raise the money for that? Is that, is that your th- what you're talking about medical? I'm trying to understand the medical one well, a little me- bit. Medical is kind of generic, uh, so it could be an emergency such as that. Uh, quite frequently, it's to provide uh, things like uh, handbars and ramps for home modifications or uh, – for in-home care, for some somebody who's elderly who can't, um, you know, maybe they're not mobile or uh, something like that, and the in-home care is necessary just to get through the day. Right. So your like your critical care, your long-term care aspects. So when somebody's getting a little older and they want to bring in maybe a nurse or even maybe a family member to help that can't really work for free, maybe they need a little bit of money to help them out. So you can use the equity in your house to help cover some of those extra expenses you might have as you get older, whether it's, as you point out, making some additions or modifications to the house itself, or just getting somebody to come in, it'll give you that extra cash flow that maybe you didn't have um, in your budget at the time. And that's one way to access the equity to kind of just kind of bump you up a little bit. And and if, uh, and the key to any of this really is the planning aspect is to understand 
all of your income, all of your expenses, and, and then to factor this in. So uh, when we come back in a few minutes, we'll talk a little bit about the reverse mortgages and the three different types uh, that Richard mentioned just a few minutes. We'll be back in just, just a little bit. This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I'm Kurt Baker here with uh, Richard Akins of uh, Loan Officer with First Constitution Bank, an expert in reverse mortgages. And we were going through the there's various types of reverse mortgages, uh, the fixed lump sum, uh, annual adjustable, monthly adjustable, as well as a number of payout options, including a, a lump sum payout, uh, monthly uh, or a line of credit, which uh, Richard was telling us is very popular. So there's a lot of great things going on here. So why... Why do you see people taking out a reverse mortgage? Why would somebody want to take one out? The short answer is people want to age in place. And whether that's, you know, paying off the bills, uh, making enough, you know, having enough cash to pay for gas and groceries or or whatever, um, it, you know, it's those sorts of things. It's also, uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's also uh, potentially a financial planning tool. So let me go through a progression Seniors oftentimes have a source of income, Social Security, a pension, something like that, and we think of that as, as the cash bucket. Um, some seniors uh, also are fortunate enough to have some assets, such as CDs or stocks or bonds or, or whatever, and they use those uh, assets to fund their cash bucket. Right? Occasionally I sell stock, it produces cash, I use it to buy my gas and groceries. The, the way to look at this reverse mortgage is another source of funds that go into the cash bucket. So um, I can take money out of the house and fund my gas and groceries. One of the important things, though, to look at is balancing, though, the assets that you could potentially sell to fund your cash bucket versus the funds coming from the house. Now, let's say you have um, stock in XYZ Corporation and it was selling at 200 last year, and it's at 100 today. And I, we can all think of a couple of those. That is like a good year. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, is that a time at which you want to sell that stock? Probably not. Um, so, but if that's the only stock you have that's to to sell, your option is to take money out of the house and sell the stock when it rises back to 200 dollars a share. Um, Let's look at another aspect of why you might want to use the funds from the house rather than funds from the IRA. If the senior borrower wants to buy a car, let's say, and it's $20,000, and they're going to draw money from their IRA, <clears throat> in addition to drawing $20,000, they are probably going to have to draw another 3000 to pay for the taxes on the first 20000 if they're in a 15% tax bracket. If the money is drawn from the house, then that additional $3,000 doesn't need to be drawn. So there's the tax consequences of drawing from the IRA that aren't there with drawing from the equity in the property. There are also other tax implications which might make a borrower want to draw the money from the house rather than an IRA. <clears throat> Let's say, for example, uh, it's a single borrower. Their total income is... Um, uh, and, and I'm, I hope I'm getting this correct with the uh, with the Social Security numbers. At um, thirty-four thousand dollars, it goes from about fifty percent taxable to eighty-five percent taxable. Let's say the homeowner wants to manage that threshold and not have their Social Security taxed, and so they don't take money out of the IRA, which might cause them to go over that threshold, but instead take it out of the house. Um, there's another thing in New Jersey. We have what's called senior freeze. The threshold for that is somewhere around $87,000. Again, if a homeowner draws money out of the IRA and causes it to go, causes their total income to go over that threshold, they lose the senior freeze benefits. Draw it from the house, stay below that threshold, 
continue to benefit from the senior fruits. So, um, and, and there are more examples for why in a, in a tax planning kind of mentality, you might want to draw money from the house instead of uh, right. other so, assets. No, that's great. So you brought up a lot of good things. So when the, when the market, you know, generally, um, you, you know, you want to sell the top and buy at the bottom, so to speak. So this helps you kind of manage uh, if, this, if, there's a, if, the, if there's a large gyration in the market, like we had in 08, 09, uh, and you had a reverse exactly. mortgage in place, rather than pulling from, deple- you know, stocks that are really depressed, and most people realize they were depressed, um, although it didn't f- felt, it was stressful for everybody at that, that time. Even, even, even if you knew intellectually what was going on, <laughs> emotionally it was still pretty hard. But you can, if you had another pot of money, which is not going to affect, um, you know, selling the stocks, you can hold on to those and wait it out. And those who did wait out the market are now well ahead of where they would have been if they had sold back in 08 or 09 and didn't and completely exited the market. This is one way that you can still get cash flow without having to uh, sell at a depressed price. And I thought it was good you pointed out, you know, the tax consequences, and you pointed out some good ones there, the tax consequences. Um, that's that's one thing that I don't think people pay enough attention to as far as tax management goes. Um, I know I get into that when I when I see clients coming in, they're mm-hmm. not necessarily managing for taxes, even if their investment side. Um, but it is really important to understand these periods in time, like the Social Security. You're talking about that period before you hit the seven and a half, where you where you're going to get taxed if you exceed certain amounts uh, of income and so forth. So you want to pay attention to whatever they are at the time, and if you can, if your expenses are something where you can manage that, you can use the reverse mortgage to push yourself through. Um, um, these periods where then it doesn't matter anymore. You're not going to get hit with the tax, the extra tax on it. So um, it's kind of nice um, that you have other ways to kind of manage your cash flow because that's what it all comes down to. Essentially, daily life is really, you know, what am I? What's my income? What are my expenses? Right. Right. But that other that other person sticking their hand in there is, is is the tax person, and if you can manage that a little bit. Yeah. Um, it can make a significant difference long term because that, yeah. that's a compounding yeah. issue. If you're paying right. 15% more in taxes every single year than you need to, um, that adds up over right. over a five right. or six year period, which is important. So you yeah. need to. So it's a good tax management strategy as well. Thanks. Um, it, it, I might add that in addition, there has been uh, a significant amount of academic research, and and two um, uh, researchers, Sachs and Sachs, a couple of years ago, ran a Monte Carlo model uh, approach to figuring out what would give the greatest longevity to all assets. And they had um, three cohorts, I guess is the term. And, and one was uh, use the reverse mortgage first, then other assets. The other was to use the reverse mortgage last after using all available assets. And the third was to use the reverse mortgage in conjunction with the other assets, like I was describing a few minutes ago. And, and they clearly show that the best outcome for extending the longevity of all assets is to use the um, use them together, the reverse mortgage and other assets, and and spe- specifically because of the examples I was giving and what you were talking about. Right, because now you're actually making a plan. You're not just saying, I'm going to go take a bucket of money and go use it. It's more like, okay, well, how am I going to manage it? When do I need the money? When do I need access to it? Um, you know, Planning is always the better way to do things than to just go do it. Uh, and, and you have to plan, as you're pointing out many times, you're in context of everything else, in context of your pension, in context of your Social Security benefits. Because people can take Social Security benefits at many different times, whether it's 62 or it's 70. I mean, you can wait. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe you're using the reverse to get the bump ups in the Social Security benefit. I mean, that's a possible way to increase your overall benefits over time. If uh, if you're saying, hey, how am I, I going to bridge this, these few years? I want to retire, let's say, at 65. Um, however, if you wait, you're going to get those eight percent increases until you hit the seventies. So right. now you're going to get more money out of your Social Security long term. If you have longevity in your family and you're going to live to your nineties easily, you're pretty comfortable. That's that's your projection. This is a way to get more out of the Social Security pot, so to speak, because now you've got a higher benefit. And um, it, so so there are, there is some math that needs to be done yeah, to make yeah. sure that you're. You know, everybody's situation is different, as we know. Um, but I think you're pointing out it's another useful tool. That can, that can help manage another asset that people can ask access. Um, so that's, right. it's, right. and those are great examples. And, and let me add that reverse mortgages aren't necessarily for um, people with, let's say, a modest income. Um, I know of a, a person who got a reverse mortgage. They live in a relatively high-end condominium development, um, and they do have considerable assets. So uh, first of all, it's an over 55 and over community, so they weren't interested in leaving it to their children. Their children didn't want it, obviously. But because they had these assets, uh, they felt like they might be better off taking the 
equity out of the property and let the assets and the IRA grow. And then one day, because of the accruing interest on the reverse mortgage funds, they would have potentially an interest deduction to take against the capital gains in the IRA. So there, there are uh, strategies for all uh, levels of, of um, financial income and, and uh, wealth. No, no, and as you pointed out, so there, you know, so that's great. So you can use it. Even high net worth people can use this as Correct. a tool, uh, really, just to maximize return on other investments. You don't necessarily want to access, or you, or you plan on giving, the, you know, part, being part of your legacy at some point. You're going to give this to your kids or your grandkids yeah. or whatever the case yeah. may be, um, and it's just a way to leverage it because you know from the rates, like approximately where it's going to be, it's going to be somewhere in the market. So you can kind of plan around what the cost of the money is going to be, especially if you have other assets involved. And in, and, in fact, most. Most of these uh, adjustable rate reverse mortgages, that, that uh, at least the ones that I deal with from FHA, have a 5% lifetime cap on the, on the interest rate. So if it's 4 today, the most it could ever go to is 9. Um, and frequently the expected rate is somewhere in, the, in between and closer to 4 maybe. Right, but if you ever hit the cap, so, of course, your other investments, if you're, if you're balancing these things, yeah. your other investments aren't capped, so you can right. go out into the market and, and hedge against that as well. Right. So, yeah, I, as you're pointing out many times over, it's really about planning and, and, and setting aside the assets to kind of mirror or, or to advance beyond what the cost of the reverse mortgage might be, uh, at least in your projections, and try to manage how all that's going to work together. Uh -huh. um, because, again, it's in the overall plan. Um, so are these, are these a safe? I mean, some people are worried about, well, somebody, if they put a lean against my house uh what kind of concern should a homeowner have as far as you know why why would they be concerned i know there's some fears out there about how these work and, and well, they're going to come take my house away from me and things yeah, like that let, let me start with <clears throat> the uh, past reputation and and it's it's been a bit murky going back to the uh, maybe 1980s and there were more proprietary reverse mortgages before the fha product became popular and and they were offered by insurance companies or whatever and and uh, uh, they had features such as the uh, lender sharing in the appreciation of the of the equity in the property, and and these were pretty much I don't know what the term is discredited. They're they're, they're they weren't popular. They were uh, bad for consumers, um, but there were also some bad actors in the in the reverse mortgage business over time. I know Claire McCaskill, Senator Claire McCaskill some years ago, held hearings and some, some of these bad actors were identified and so on. And of course, the myths of, the myth that the bank owns the home and so forth. So, so there, it does have a bit of a negative reputation, but the product is, um, it, they are attempting to make this a stable, uh, good product for uh, senior consumers. Uh, we can't use the word safe, uh, but they've put into place a number of, of things such as mandatory counseling uh, by a third party, not a, not a bank representative. Uh, they have this mortgage insurance. It's mandatory. It, uh, it guarantees that if the lender ever goes out of business, the FHA will find another lender, so the flow of funds will, will continue. Even more important, it says that <clears throat> if the homeowner draws more out of the property than the property is eventually worth, uh, and that may be because they draw more and the interest grows or because the property depreciates for some reason, such as they turn a two-lane street into a four-lane street. Um, the point is that the, the uh, overage that's owed is covered by the mortgage insurance. Um, so there are a number of aspects. Let me, let me go to one that's on a slightly different topic, though, and that, and that has to do with qualifying. Um, in the recent past, FHA has Im, uh, imposed new qualification requirements, and they are uh, identified as the financial assessment, and, and the first is what they call willingness, which is the, that the borrower has to show that they've had a good track record in paying property expenses, and the other is capacity, which says that even after paying property expenses and credit card bills and so forth, that they have sufficient income to, uh, to get by. 
Okay. Oh, well, thanks very much. So, yeah, it's important to understand that there are there is some basic qualifying for reverse mortgage. Uh, I mean, it's it's, it's minimal, um, but they will they do want to make sure that the property taxes are going to keep getting paid and things like that. So, um, it can be used properly. It can be a good product, but you also um, have to be aware of. And I like the fact that this mandatory counseling really kind of helps to educate people because uh, then the salespeople are completely out of it, and now they get basic information. They have a good understanding of the product. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about um, some of the things that um, a reverse mortgage would be used for and how to use it in financial planning. we come back in just a few minutes. This is Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, certified financial planner professional. Learn about tax efficiency, liability, owning, managing, and saving your money and more from Kurt and his experienced panel of guests. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider University offers flexible education for adult learners. For more information, it's rider.edu slash next step. Welcome back to Master Your Finances. I'm Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional here with Richard uh, Aikens, a loan officer at First Constitution Bank. We're talking about reverse mortgages um, and trying to debunk some of the myths out there about some of the older uh, players that were in the market um, that were not really uh, above board and playing by by rules that benefited uh, the, the client or the customer. Um, and FHA has really become kind of the primary uh, reverse mortgage lender, and this thing has been tweaked over time significantly. Uh, to really make it so it is a better thing for uh, seniors to consider. There was a lot of concerns, I know, from a governmental standpoint of abuses. Uh, you're dealing with older, um, you know, an aging generation, so to speak, when we're getting a little older. Um, so we want to make sure this is the right thing, and that they have things like mandatory um, counseling so that people understand exactly what they're getting into. Um, so there's a couple of steps involved as far as that goes. They want to make sure that somebody has a willingness to pay their property taxes, understands that you need to keep paying your property tax and expenses. You have to keep upkeeping the house. There's certain things you still have to do if you take on a reverse mortgage. And you point out a number of benefits as far as uh, evening out your cash flow and different, creating essentially another bucket of money where if maybe your equities or your stocks are down a little bit, you may not want to draw down on those. Uh, you can pull a little bit from the uh, reverse mortgage for a period of time, as well as uh, maybe you want to delay your Social Security a few years, but you still want to retire, maybe you can use the reverse mortgage to kind of bridge that period of time and allow your Social Security benefit to maybe accrue and maybe get a little higher benefit out of that as well. So there's a number of things you can can, can do. Um, it really comes down to your personal circumstances as far as how you might want to um, engage it. Um, so are there, is there things that people should, other things people should be uh, aware of as far as the process of getting a reverse mortgage or maybe what if I, I'm in my house, sure. I buy it, maybe I'm going to sell it or maybe I have to move it to a long-term care facility or well, something. Me, There's other things that may happen as we age, right? Yeah, let me talk about sort of the life cycle of the reverse mortgage. Typically, people hear about the reverse mortgage like this or through advertising or something, they come and ask for information. Um, the, uh, the counseling is mandatory, so that's usually an upfront sort of thing. Uh, I take an application, we do an appraisal, we collect title work, we go through underwriting, we go to closing, we, dis we disperse funds. So then over the years, the borrower is drawing funds and uh, interest is accruing. So X number of years later, the borrower moves to assisted living or passes away, but is no longer occupying the property. At that point, <clears throat> uh, oftentimes the lender finds out, first of all, but the, the obligation then is for the either the homeowner or the heirs to uh, pay back the reverse mortgage in, in a lump sum. And they have, a, a, according to the security instruments, they have um, 180 days in which to do this. There has been some talk recently in the press about how uh, there have been a high rate of foreclosure on reverse mortgages. This is, this is somewhat blown out of context, and a professor at, uh, at Penn uh, wrote an article on it recently. And, and part of the reason is this. The foreclosure numbers are kind of artificially high because according to the security instruments, the institutions have, the lenders have the right to begin foreclosure proceedings after 30 days. They do it as a warning, I'm sure, in most cases. So the homeowners or the heirs have 180 days to sell the house, pay back the reverse mortgage. Uh, if they need more time and they've shown good faith, I understand that the lenders will extend uh, 90 days and, and possibly even a second extension of 90 days for a total of 360. But, but the loan does have to pay back, and, uh, and, that's, and selling it is usually what happens. 
Occasionally, if the house is underwater, which we touched on a little bit before, um, the uh, heirs or homeowner whatever will uh, turn in the keys and sign a deed in lieu of and just walk away, essentially, and turn the, turn the property over to the lender. And okay, so if we if we come out and I, and I let's say we inherit a house, let's say worst case scenario, right? I'm an heir. Uh, I have a parent that had a, house, a reverse mortgage on their house, and, and everything kind of went wrong as far as the equity position goes. And it is underwater. Uh, I mean, from my perspective or the estate's perspective, how does that affect you? Just they're okay with you signing it over. Hey, we appraised the house; it's worth a hundred. You tell me I owe one hundred and ten. Just take it. I mean, is that is that okay? I mean, that, I mean, what? That's essentially cause, it. Because in most foreclosures, that's not okay. They'll come back and give you a division. You say, well, you still got to pay us the ten thousand. Well, that's the whole purpose of that mortgage insurance right. recall. So they sign a deed in lieu of, um, and then the lender and and the government uh, work together to get funds out of this uh, mortgage insurance pool to pay the hundred and ten that that then keeps the lender whole. Uh, but the homeowner, uh, this is what's called a non recourse loan. And the total obligation rests on the property and none of it on the actual um, homeowner. Okay. So, so your worst case scenario is you kind of sign it over to the bank, which in a regular mortgage, you're really not supposed to do. You're, you're going to be, you're on the hook, so to speak, because you signed right. that note personally. But on a reverse mortgage, you're talking about non-recourse, meaning you don't have personal liability for you. It's really just equity. So it's right. what they call subject to. You're taking the loan subject to the property equity. You're putting that as collateral. If that collateral doesn't work out for the lender, that's what the mortgage insurance is for. In this case, mm-hmm. is to help protect the lender so they then get their money back. Because actuarially, as we talked about before, um, they are doing the tables. They know over time that most of these are going to be fine. There's going to be a few where maybe that does happen. But uh, you know, the four-lane highway goes in, so to speak, and decreases the value. So now you right. can't get rid of it. Right. Um, so all that's kind of taken into account. And that's one of the things that I think over the long term, they really tried to fix a lot of these issues that came up in the past. Mm-hmm. And this is nice. Mm-hmm. So the heirs, if they really can't get rid of it and there is an issue with it, they can't. you can literally just sign it off right. um, and get rid of it. So, so that's And a lot a, of seniors are concerned about whether their children will have to bear their, their debts and so on, and, right. and especially if, if the loan is upside down. But the heirs do not have to. They do have to take some steps to uh, sell the house and pay back the loan, but, but they don't carry the burden of the debt. Right, so it's much different than a regular mortgage. That's all I'm trying yeah. to point, or the forward mortgage, so so to speak. So, so that's the situation where somebody passes away. But let's say the other situation, which may happen, is okay. I want to I want to age in place. However, it's just not going to happen anymore. I really need to go to a long term care facility. I, I can, you know bringing the people in to help me at my home is not going to really work in my case. Right. So I've moved out. I'm in a facility. What happens then? Because now, now it's no longer my primary, correct? So, right. Uh, what's going to happen at this well, point? Well, the security instrument actually has a has a clause in it that says something like, if the property is no longer the principal residence due to physical or mental illness, then the lender has the right uh, for 12, 12 months. Then the lender has the right to call the loan. Um, that almost makes it a voluntary thing if you've moved to assisted living to to notify them. But it gives you a little bit of time to uh, do things like. Uh, Draw, draw a few more dollars out of the fund, perhaps if it's available, spruce up the house, get it ready to sell uh, before going to assisted living or shortly after going to assisted living. Okay, so basically your, your, your requirement is you need to sell it within 12 months. However, if you set up this line of credit, hopefully there's a little bit in there so you can do a little work to the house, you can get it ready, sell it. Um, and just kind of move on and move to the next phase. Of course, that's where the planning comes into place, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's hopefully, you planned for your long-term care needs, uh, and the reverse mortgage is not the only piece to your puzzle, so to speak, because um, there's right. other options as well. Um, but this can be used, uh, as we said before, uh, the best way to do it is in conjunction with everything else. Don't, don't do it first. Don't do it necessarily last. Kind of plan it in the middle Blended, so, th- so yeah. that it's another option uh, that may or, you may or may not access fully, so to speak. Right. Blend, blend your strategy. Blend your assets. Blend your it. Strategy. How's that? <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, diver- yeah diversifying, blending, that's, that's a good way to do it. Um, so any other points you want to make sure that our listeners know about as far as the reverse mortgage process or, or some of the pros or cons of the reverse mortgage world, so to speak, as we know it today? Pros and cons. <laughs> Where um, are we headed with this? <laughs> what, what are the projections? What do we well, see coming up down I'll, the pike? I'll, I'll tell you one thing that um, – is of particular interest to me, and that's, and that's this, and, and should be to many of the residents of the state of New Jersey. Um, starting in about 2010, um, FHA made it considerably more difficult for people who live in condominiums to get a reverse mortgage. Basically, it went from what they call a spot condo approval, where a single unit could be approved for um, a, 
a home equity conversion mortgage, reverse mortgage, uh, to one where the entire development had to be approved. Uh, this cut the number of uh, reverse mortgage endorsements in the state of New Jersey from something close to 400 per year to something like 60 or 70 per year within a couple of years after that. And that was in a 2010 or thereabouts. There was possible movement to reverse that. Um, FHA or HUD put out a request for comments in the fall. They got 90 or so comments uh, saying, please bring back um, what they now call a single unit approval. And uh, we're waiting to see, since the comments have been submitted to, to uh, FHA or HUD, we're waiting to see what they, what they determine, whether they're going to go back to single unit approval or not. If they do, um, I look to uh, see that many seniors who live in condominiums, which I think is, uh, you know, there's a large proportion of seniors in condominiums in the state of New Jersey, and there are a large number of condominiums. I see them getting reverse mortgages. Yeah, and that's interesting because I, I remember, because we'll put it in context, the 08, 09, a lot, a lot of negative things were happening in the market. A lot of negative things were happening in the housing market specifically. Um, so part of that repercussion or the, or the ripple effect is you started getting higher foreclosures in condominiums. There were Some of them were rentals, and so you had these high default rates. So FHA, I think, said, oh, well, we're just going to start being really, really, really conservative and make sure the whole hmm. project is safe. Um, and and they, they kind of bailed on the whole idea. And now it sounds like because the market stabilized, now they're rethinking this, which, which had been around for many, many years, is, is let's let's look at each one on its own merits and let's look at it you know holistically, so to speak, as far as the borrower, as far as the project goes, and look at it at, at that particular point in time, which is really more logical. If I, so I, I think it's good that they're thinking about that because um, I know it worked pretty well many years ago as yeah, far as getting yeah. the condos done. Well, I, I think, too, it, it disenfranchised a number of seniors. Now they're living in condominiums, which is kind of a natural progression for many people, and they're not eligible for reverse mortgages unless the whole development goes through this kind of length. It's kind of counterintuitive. I mean, if you're older, it'd be nice to be in like you know a couple bedrooms in a condo where you don't have to mow the lawn and you don't have to shovel the snow, and and you can stay in place a lot longer. So it's good to see that this is progressing. And and as you pointed out, all the way through the program is is they're really tweaking this. They've made it better over time. They've given us a lot of options, and there's a lot of ways to um, really kind of maybe put this into the plan. So it's another tool to consider. Um, So I appreciate you coming on today, Rich. Richard, and talking about reverse mortgages. Um, Thank you for inviting me. It's had a lot of... you know, negative history, but I think it, it's finally stabilized to the point where, where planners are considering this as part of the plan. Um, and so it's important that, that, you know, everybody out there understands that as well. Um, I just have a quick announcement here. There's our, our nonprofit attitudes in reverse uh, as an event coming up uh, on May 20th, um, which is our Mickey and Friends 5K Walk and Run for Air. It's at Mercer County Park. It's a do- dog friendly event. Uh, you can learn more by going to attitudesandreverse.org, or you can sign up at walkforair.org as well. And uh, <clears throat> you can reach me at uh, 609-716-4700, or the website is www.cwmi.us. Uh, and you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash masteryourfinances. Again, you can listen to this podcast or any of the podcasts by going to masteryourfinances.us. And remember, you too can master your finances and enjoy financial peace of mind. That was this week's episode of Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, certified financial planner professional. Tune in every Sunday at 9 a.m. to expand your knowledge in building and managing your wealth. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Master Your Finances to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. Master Your Finances is underwritten in part by Certified Wealth Management and Investment and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Rider University.